Welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 28 for the week ending Monday, October 26th. As always, we round up the week's most important technology, digital and innovation news from across Africa. And yes, folks, I am back. Back from eye surgery. What's up, dude? How many fingers? Oh, please. <laughs> it's called cross-linking. It was only in my left eye and I can see pretty much everything you throw up. Um, the healing process is pretty cool. I, very impressed how much tech was involved. My surgeon basically told me none of what he was working with existed when he was in medical school, which I don't know should make you feel good or <laughs> I don't know. I guess it makes things more precise and less room for error, but it's good to have you back. But guess what? Who else is back? Peter, back from Dubai. What's up, guy? Hey, how are you doing, my good man? I'm really good, man. We got this enigma to speak on mic. This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, man, I should be out there with my comrades, you know. Fees must fall. <laughs> Now you know who the engine behind some of the struggle movements here on the continent are, man. The enigma is the engine, man. But anyway, you're back from Dubai. Had a good time? Yeah, it was a cool time, even though very short. I mean, I was just there. I just got there, literally went to the conference and back back to the airport. You know, I never got to see um, Dubai and all, you know, these tall buildings that everyone is talking about. People were asking me to bring back shoes and do some shopping. Never did any of that. Quick travel, no time for relaxing. Ah. Busy man. Busy man. Busy man. Hey, speaking of busy, therefore, you can't talk about busy because, again, this has been a hectically busy week for you. Uh, firstly, the Tabombeki African Leadership Institute invited you, my guy, not only to, to, to speak, my guy, but to also facilitate a discussion and do dinner with former South African President Tabombeki himself. I, 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 dude, I was just listening. So much knowledge there. For real? Did you have fun though? No, nah, I had fun. I always have fun. And what do you talk about? Uh, we were talking about, I gave a case study of report xenophobia, but the talk was about, because remember, this was a conference or the forum for alumni. So these are people who've gone through from across the continent through various programs and courses at the institute. So they were, as the patron, they call him. This is, I'm sounding political now. The patron. <laughs> it's the FISMA's fault. All protocol observed. Yeah, but as, as he was uh, saying about the students or the alumni, they need to be change agents for Africa from technology, from social development. So all the speakers there, including myself, were to demonstrate how they can do things in their communities, in their countries. So I gave a case study not only showing what technology can do, but how they can go about thinking in terms of solving problems in their communities, a case study on report xenophobia. And I also had a chat with uh, Kojo Bafo, who was on the panel with me, and just he was talking about and probing him about context and telling our stories and using digital platforms to own and tell digital stories about Africa. So you say alumni. This institute basically, uh, what, invites thought leaders from across the African continent to sort of sit down and learn at the feet of Mbeki? What's going on at this institute? You don't get invited. You, anybody can apply. So you can apply for their short courses, which are minimum a semester or two semesters at most. And they've got various uh, courses, obviously, with consultations with the patron, Mr. Mbeki himself, where they talk about thought leadership and just influencing the African intellectuals and how to go about thinking about change in Africa. So we were there mainly to show practically what we're doing in the real world around impacting Africa for better. Web 2.0 stuff? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, this we're talking Web 2.0. We're talking citizens, you know, posting their own content, not just talking down. Same thing that even Kojo was talking about in terms of stories. People don't want to be talked down to. They want to be part of something. So even the stuff we do, it wasn't about us giving people or telling people what to do. It was about them posting their content and alerts and incidents. That isn't all you did this week. You've been really busy. Uh, you also attended Brand Africa 100, Africa's best brands. That's a mouthful. What was interesting was how tech and electronic brands dominated the awards. I mean, MTN won the most admired brand in Africa. A lot of Apple and Samsung in terms of most admired tech and electronic brands and across the board. What sparked my interest was amongst the most admired emerging brands was Conga.com, which is founded by Sim Shigaya in uh, Nigeria, which is an e-commerce store competing with Jumia. And also somebody we featured on the show and talked about his company was Drive Masiiwa of Econet, winning the Lifetime Achievement Award. Obviously, he wasn't there. He was in London, but the CEO, Tracy Pofu, was there to accept the award on his behalf. Sure, some heavy hitters, but what, what sort of criteria do they use for these awards? Tebe kind of thing behind this entire move? Yes, his company with brand leadership, I think it's called, is behind this entire move. So this is what they run annually. I think it's the fourth annual one. They've got a company called Geopo, which does the polling of uh, respondents for them, TNS. And they've also got Brand Finance, which is a very interesting one, who have a methodology of valuing these brands because a brand is not necessarily a product. So you wouldn't know how much sales it made, but it's more about taking their financial statements. You know, have, They have a whole methodology around how they value the importance of a brand. I love that this is a homegrown initiative, telling the world what's happening on the continent instead of some ma- massive company like Vodafone, you know, coming here and telling us what's up. Uh, well done to to all the initiatives that are happening on the continent that are pushing the renaissance, baby. And listen, we're going to come back to, to, to Peter. Peter's going to share uh, some of what he he's picked up uh, in Dubai. Uh, but before that, if you're joining us for the first time, probably wondering what the heck you just landed in, uh, please head straight to africantechroundup.com to catch up on what you've been missing. And while you're there, by the way, sign up for our weekly newsletter uh, so that you can get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, our handle on both social networks at African Roundup. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. We'd love to hear from you. In this week's discussion, a little later on, uh, I'm sure you've heard of dash cams that our homies <laughs> over in Russia have made very famous <laughs> with all those YouTube videos. Uh, and that's certainly gaining popularity on the continent. But have you heard of body cam? We're discussing that idea this week, so stick around. But first, though, this week's African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Imagination Info Solutions, the information management and consulting company that helps business people make good, solid, data-driven decisions that impact the bottom line. Now, Imagination creates business tools like visual dashboards and reports using Excel Power Pivot that enable you to run your business with more clarity and insight. Over the next few weeks, we'll learn a little more about how Imagination MD Richard Bezadenhart and his team pull this off and hear how they've helped their clients save millions. In the meantime, visit imagination.co.za to find out how you can start spending less time sorting through and extracting your company's data and more time using it to make your business rock. That's e-imagination.co.za. Now, this week in place of our regular listener comment segment, we have with us our content producer, Peter Pile, who, as we said earlier, is fresh off a plane from his week in Dubai at Gitex Technology Week. You spoke to some interesting 
interesting people, didn't you? Yeah, um, I've managed to get a couple of uh, interviews. So tell me a little bit about uh, Mr. Yasuo Yamasaki, who is the Director of System Solutions and Communications Division at Panasonic Marketing Middle East and Africa. You got him on tape. Set this up for us. Earlier this month, Panasonic uh, announced that uh, they have the most efficient TV panels in the world. You know, so I was uh, trying to understand what they meant by efficient um, and also understand their strategy in the context of Africa or developing markets. Well, here's Mr. Yasuo Yamasaki. Actually, to the, we have you know, completely a solution. Okay. When the, especially, to the, we, are, to, uh, to, we are starting the Japan market. Japan, after earthquake, we had so many problems with the electricity shortage. Yeah. Then for the, you know, we created, we have to, you know, own our factory yeah. for the, you know, inverter. And we have to, you know, like a battery solution to the lithium or read battery type. Okay. So many kind of, you know, like a variation of the package of solution. Okay. Now, so you will provide the, the full system from the inverter, the, mm -hmm. the battery pack, and the everything. PV panel. Itself. Yeah, everything. Okay. And then yeah. the efficiency, you're looking at it from... The panel only or the entire system? Entire system. Okay. Right. We have to do three concepts. One is for the you know for the generating of the electricity yes. through the of the you know, PV panel. Then another concept is to the controlling or you know to the through the of the entire house house goods. For example, we're looking at the TV or less consumption. Right? And the refrigerator, also we are looking for the, you know, we call to the, you know, smart technology. To the refrigerator itself, we are developing to, you know, new smart technology. For example, night time, nobody open up the door of the refrigerator. Inside the temperature is not, not going down. Right? In this case, we can stop on the, you know, compressor. Such kind of, you know, ah, like okay. AI technology. So innovative solutions. That's right. Okay. Then well, we're looking for the plus to the daytime using of the panel, panel electricity. Okay. Then for the evening time, we're using to the battery system. Then consumption balance of the you know, electricity. Okay. Then we are looking of the total, you know, for the efficiency of the, you know, eco solution. All right. This is our strategy. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, brilliant. And then you also got a short interview with Mr. Noriyuki Hayashi on the Light ID, which sounds pretty snazzy. There's an article that I wrote on iAfrican, which is entitled Six Ways Panasonic Tried to Make Back to the Future 2 a Reality. Um, so the Light ID is one of those uh, innovations. Think of QR codes. Panasonic has sort of taken it a step further. They use the experience in working with projectors and uh, lighting. So they, they have this projector which projects LED ID signals onto a certain object. So you would come with your cell phone and point it at that object and um, pick up that light ID signal. So then your cell phone would then connect with the, their servers which would then um, give you whatever content is um, related to that light ID. So use typical use case, you're in a museum, um, you're looking at some object, you want to get more information on it, you point your phone at this object and then it fetches that information or gives you more information about that exhibit. I love how a lot of these hardware companies seem to be making data plays, which uh, are going to keep things very interesting as uh, tech evolves. But anyway, roll tape on Mr. Noriyoki Hayashi. In like Japan, the, in Tokyo, there is the Olympic Games 2020. 
So that time uh, we have a lot of business opportunities. A lot of company has the chance to replace the equipment. Many foreign visitors will come to Japan. So that time the, one of the issue is uh, how to provide the effective information to many countries' visitors. So uh, like a legacy uh, advertisement or uh, transportation uh, signboard is uh, just only the English and the Japanese. But uh, at that time, uh, we are required to provide uh, more uh, multilingual information. So for such cases, Light ID is an effective solution using the uh, smartphone. Then uh, by receiving the ID information, then the visitor can receive the, uh, like a transport information in their native local language. Okay. All right. So what, what about um, the QR codes? You know about QR codes? So what is the difference with this one and the uh, advantage of using this? Actually, the QR code is uh, very commonly used, but uh, and also the same uh, way to use the smartphone, the camera. But uh, in order to get the uh, code, you have to be very close and uh, you have to do the adjustment of the position. Okay. But the light ID, you don't need uh, such uh, uh, action. Even from the distance, you can get easily uh, such code. So uh, speed is faster and you don't need uh, such uh, uh, adjustment and very reliable. There's so no what, what technology is you using on the phone itself? I mean. If you're saying, um, as compared to using a camera for the QR codes, you would be using another technology. And what, what, what is that? Actually, that uh, uh, our technology is using the visible light, okay. the uh, LED light. Okay. But uh, on that uh, uh, light, we have the technology to build in the uh, ID code. Then uh, our Panasonic developed. Uh, faster way to get into such information. So uh, you can receive very quickly uh, such information. So that is uh, different from the other uh, methods. That is a unique, unique method. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Those of you who would like us to include your audio comments on any uh, of the topics we've covered, anything you'd like to, to let us know about, get off your chest, come on, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email using hello at africantechroundup.com or give us a shout on facebook.com uh, forward slash africantechroundup or hit us up uh, directly on our website. That's africantechroundup.com. Now, with all that said and done, on to the news. First up, what do... I'm going to test you guys. What do Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Mozambique, and the Democratic Republic of Congo have in common? What do you think? Besides black people. Good holiday destinations. How about Kiswahili? Microsoft has collaborated with Translators Without Borders uh, to launch a new language translator function for the Kiswahili language. Wonderful. This is good. I mean, this is realization and reclaiming our identity identity from allowed to sound political comrade uh, only we needed an american company to help us do it uh, irrespective of the the messenger but it's still good i mean uh, we need to reclaim our languages there are countries where the native languages have been extinct countries like angola so preserving swahili by allowing it to be used on tech like this by microsoft that's good also, what it does to basically allow uh, a, a huge part of the population that can't speak English or any other European language to be part of this tech revolution is a big deal. 
It is. And just interesting observation I read, and or I was speaking to someone I can't remember last week, was that uh, the generation that's coming onto the internet for the first time over the past five, half a decade to ten years, don't need to know English given the type of ways or the methods they're coming on or the platforms they're using to get onto the internet. So if you're using Facebook, you don't need to know English in a sense that you are communicating with people you would normally communicate with on a day-to-day basis. So you can use the same language that you talk to them. So it's one way of helping even though the instructions on facebook are in english it's intuitive enough for people to use their own languages the other platform or tool or app that people use to get onto the internet is whatsapp again a communication tool that allows people to communicate in a language that they please but also i think microsoft's definitely being an operating system that's very big has a massive footprint in the private sector across the continent sub-saharan africa certainly i think this is saying a lot that they would make this decision i think it's saying a lot about the people in that region about how serious they are about keeping a language like uh, kiswahili as a uh, a usable uh, commercial form of communication that perhaps the world that's trying to communicate with them better be able to 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 bridge or they just want to win some tenders by appealing to the politicians hey dude Unfortunately, this is Africa. So, uh, well done to you, Microsoft. Don't listen to him. Google's been having it. Uh, well, that's true, but I don't think it, it, it's worked that well. I, it, it, often those those translations those uh, translations on Google seem to be token. I don't know if you could translate an entire legal document, for example, in Google. So another thing that worries me is that you know these translators are targeted at something like SharePoint. And uh, how many people that are actually on that SharePoint level will want uh, translation? Especially if you're, like, developing for SharePoint. Would you want to have, like, your interface in Swahili? Like I said, they're trying to win some tenders. Anyway, on to Nigeria. We're apparently InterSwitch, which uh, claims to be, quote, Africa's leading digital payments and commerce provider, unquote, has announced an integration of its quick talent services with BlackBerry's BBM. Who still uses BBM? That's my thing exactly, my word. I, look, I suppose it's a, it's a stride forward for humanity in some respect. But given that it's Nigeria, I'm sure there's still a backlog, I say backlog quite intentionally, of uh, BlackBerry users in Nigeria who still haven't taken up smartphones on Android or any other platform and who are still using BBM quite heavily. But uh, I don't get the move to move to BBM. It's interesting that InterSwitch call themselves the leading African payments provider. Along with every single money transfer service and remittance service out there, everyone's either the leading this or the, the best that or the fastest growing this. And Well, yeah, let's get back to the story. They say that users with a Nigerian bank account can make a request for money at time or a payment for services from one of their BBM contacts using this uh, new QuickTeller mini app, which enables us. Well, that's pretty cool for all three of you who are still on BBM. Anyway, listen, <laughs> if you're excited about this Nigeria and we're clearly not getting it out here, uh, please give us a shout and let us know how excited you are for this quick teller uh, function that now allows you to uh, share money with your BBM contacts uh, and transfer it around the web. Listen, on to another mobile money story which uh, this one's coming out of Zimbabwe where the Bankers Association of Zimbabwe is bemoaning the fact that Zimbabwe does not have a regulatory framework for protecting users should any mobile money platforms collapse. Really good uh, points they raise I think. I mean, what would happen if I was sending, say, $3,000 to a family member using EcoCash? 
EcoCash, for example, and EcoCash uh, filed for bankruptcy and suspended services. Who would I run to? This is one area where government regulation or government-related regulation is welcome. Uh, citizens need to be protected because uh, you don't want cowboy players. I mean, I'm not saying all the mobile money players either in Zimbabwe or across the continent are, but they are private businesses and private businesses can go under, so people need to be protected. And also the deals they have, often the, the paperwork that regulates the relationships uh, around these money transfers is between the, the mobile operator, in the case of, say, an Econet or a Telesal or whatever, uh, and, and, say, a bank. Uh, but nothing quite protecting the end user who's ultimately using the service, which is dangerous. And, and this comes in the wake of um, EcoCash announcing a partnership with MoneyGram, uh, allowing people, pretty much every part of Africa now, to use a MoneyGram transfer or anywhere else in the world for that matter, a MoneyGram transfer to someone uh, with an EcoCash uh, account. Again, I think we've reached peak mobile money in Africa. Nobody's really innovating around this. Everybody's offering either a remittance or a payment service. And the key telling thing for me or the key telling metric is that nobody has a, a good chunk of the market share or is a dominant force in this space, which means there's still some user problem that all these services are not solving. That and everyone seems to be content to milk the market because no one, you, you'd think with all these players in the market, uh, the cost of transferring money on the continent would have come down drastically, which it has yeah, I mean, as I say, again, I don't think they're paying attention to finding out what the real user problem is. And as you say, they're looking more to milk and derive as much uh, profits out of this, uh, out of their services as possible without looking at it long term. I'm telling you, Bitcoin is going to ruin everybody when, when someone gets that thing right. I'm telling you, easily the most explosive news uh, piece of the week. An explosive article posted on Moran last week has outlined some very disturbing details about Iroko Partners. You know that firm that owns Iroka TV? Yes. Well, apparently, according to this article, they've laid off some top executives along with over a hundred other employees. Oh my word. Hashtag, it's hard to be Jason and Joku. <laughs> Hashtag, it's hard to be a CEO, period. If you're in the tech space, in the startup space, in the digital space in Africa, I think the name Jason Njoku is like Mark Zuckerberg worldwide. You know who he is. He's always blogging about uh, how great Iroko's growing, what they're doing, what Range Rover he's bought. It'd be interesting actually to <laughs> it'd be interesting to actually run a, a media search and calculate how much media coverage this dude has had. Everything from CNN to local networks. Incredible. Let's do that right now. One hundred and thirty-two thousand results for Jason Njoku. Yeah, I mean the man is uh, been is in the media almost every week. He blogs regularly about how great Iroko is doing, as I said. But this article brings up some very interesting. Well, it's still a rumor, as you said, but it brings out some very interesting stuff. Firstly, it talks about literally. It looks like the whole engineering and technical team from executives down to the devs in Lagos and probably across in the US and uh, London has left or has been fired. Again, the context for this is a an industry that tech heads have been trying to crack and this year many of them have taken a knock. Video on demand as a concept, as a service, no one seems to be able to crack on the continent. Um, aside from Netflix really globally, uh, no one's really... Uh, got a handle on it, it seems. Yeah. 
But aside from that, I get your point. I want to bring the focus back on Iroko TV and Jason Joku. Let's play a, a quick timeline quickly. I mean, Jason, we all love his story. We all support his story. I've written extensively about how great and what they're doing. He's blogged for us at iAfrican. Great TEDx talk. Very inspirational TEDx talk. And he started in his mom's uh, house, literally getting physical D- Nollywood DVDs, uploading them to YouTube. Great startup story, hardship etc. If you listen or read the blog post and the news articles, hit the big time, and I say this with quotation marks, by getting investment from Tiger Capital and the like, putting in, in total, roughly $27 million into Iroko TV because they really believed in, in the concept of uh, Nollywood, and not just Nollywood, but an African online streaming movie service. So this was a great story. It's been not only played out to be, but it's actually happened like that with over $20 million being pumped into the company. Then following all this investment came Jason being featured on every top publication. I mean, you name it, CNN, uh, BBC, every radio station, everywhere he's been featured, he's written, he's been interviewed. And then came his blog posts as well. I mean, they, they, they're quite popular in the African tech scene where Jason will talk about metrics at... Uh, at Iroko in total and talking I remember one quote that comes to mind right now was where he talked about I think it was over a billion views sometime last year sounds about right across all uh, all uh, Iroko assets that included Iroking and all sorts of their assets and yeah he'd go on I mean popular uh, posts about his Range Rover that he bought and whenever he buys a new one it's always up and it's Monday motivation for the hustlers who are struggling somewhere in the corners of Abuja or Lagos or somewhere in the corner of Alexandra so he, he, he was the poster boy and he is still and Iroko is still the poster startup for African startups if I may say that and when this reading this article so with all that in context of the history of Iroko and Jason with this coming up it's like a shock to, to, to hear of one top executives laid off apparently to a hundred or so people laid off in a space very short space of time even more worrying is talks of a fallout between jason and bastian again allegedly no proof yet but all this begs the question what's happening there and i mean we covered a, a blog article he put out that we speculated at the time could be him trying to manage expectations of investors who might be getting antsy after all the millions that have been plowed into his business dude just comes across as mark cuban meets donald trump for me on steroids on steroids, dude. And I think, it, <laughs> and unfortunately, you know what I mean? Uh, despite, his, you know, his take it or leave it sort of um, persona, which I, for many people is a leave it persona, we, we have looked up to this guy. And I'm, for one, definitely hoping that the, the, the dust settles. And it's, it's not a disaster. It sounds like, or at least we're reading about. Part of the timeline, there's an article or blog post he put up. Again, some history, Iroko, this is Jason's words and Bastian's word, Iroko's major business, major income, paying subscribers, Africans in the diaspora, not on the continent. So people who watch Iroko movies on online and paying for them are in the diaspora. And then a few months ago, or was it last year? I can't remember exactly. Jason put out this blog post saying that doubling down on Lagos when previously they said that they don't see any business happening on in, in, on the continent at the moment they don't see people doing that until all sorts of things happen happening in one of them being data costs coming down and then all of a sudden out the blue 
boom, this very inspirational, he's a very good writer, very inspirational, put out this blog post that said, we're doubling down on Lagos, we're burning all the bridges behind us, it's like Winston Churchill, man, we're going forward. And as part of that move, cutting down online, we're going with a mobile app because we want to win Lagos and we want to win it now. At the moment, after first reading, it was like, cheering Jason on, go for it, brother. But after the dust settled on that, one got asked themselves questions like, okay, but what has changed? And now we have a Kenyan tech blog to thank for this this rumor breaking uh, to such fanfare. Oh, my word. Interesting that it was sent to a Kenyan tech blog and not to the cabal. Oops, sorry. Tech cabal. Oh, my word, dude. It's like gunshots fired. What? Come on. All we're saying is, if you have any more information on the story, what's true, what isn't, uh, any idea on how things are going uh, going down in Nigeria and uh, certainly at Iroko TV, if you are in a position to speak or send it to an anonymous tip, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, this is all happening in the same week that Safaricom has partnered with Viewcom uh, to create yet another video-on-demand service. Goodness knows that if anyone's going to get it right, it might be an incumbent in another industry with, with deep pockets who have the time to, to make it work, like a DSTV in South Africa, uh, a multi-choice in South Africa, uh, a mobile network like Safaricom. Who knows? Maybe that's what it will take. But it certainly seems like the startups are wiping out this year. How many have we covered that are shutting down or in trouble in VOD? At least three. At least three. Yeah, but it's interesting. What this validates by Safaricom is at least that VOD is still a play, hopefully, on the continent. But I think also the other side of it is that maybe it's too early for it for mass adoption. So again, it might take somebody with massive deep pockets to pump in and wait it out for like five to ten years before they make money. Well, moving on or mixing it in some respects, it seems that mix it don't want to mix it no more. Yeah, no, they're a charity these days. <laughs> so- or a charity case. So it seems because social network Mixit has announced that it's exiting its commercial operations and it's donating its assets to a public... Donating. Bold. Yeah. It's donating its assets to a public benefit organization. What happened? Wasn't this one of the biggest social networks in the world at some point they missed the opportunity i think they, they at, at, in 2013 they had seven over seven million users i don't even think that was the peak they had much more than that and this year they have like one million users i think they missed the opportunity to switch one a strategy or a plan or an action plan from feature phones to smartphones and still carrying people and they missed the opportunity to be the WhatsApp or the WeChat or the Snapchat of the smartphone world in the developing world. We kind of grew up on Mixit, man. I mean, look, they, they claim that its parts are going to be useful to some uh, public organization, but I think this is just code for they're burying it someplace in, 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 in the back, uh, in the savannah somewhere. Yeah, this is PR, man. I think, look, this is my opinion. I think this is PR Tony trying to turn a bad story into a good story. But yeah, I, I think when I first, I remember when I first saw the Android app, it's uh, two or three years ago. It just looked too busy. Yeah, no, it was it was truly behind the times. They did not cater to the smartphone market, and now even even really successful uh, uh, social apps like WhatsApp are, are still trying to figure out how to monetize. Never mind some some app that's stuck in feature phone territory. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but also this must be a warning to all those startups that are... Obviously, Africa still has a lot of feature phones, a lot of them. But the future is shifting and it's shifting very quickly. We are moving to smartphones. Users are adopting smartphones. And the only critical thing now, since we've got like cheap Android phones coming, sub $50 Android phones already flooding the market, the only critical point that needs to happen is data to come down. And as soon as that happens... Goodbye feature phone. Now, following the recent spate of violent acts perpetrated by police in South Africa, the likes of the African Policing Civilian Oversight Forum are lobbying the South African government to make body cams, yes, body cams and not car cams, a requirement for the South African Police Service. Now, this leads us very nicely into our discussion segment where I asked the question earlier on, what's the fuss over this and uh, do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, I, I first time I heard of... Uh, Body cams was uh, with the shootings of black males in the U.S. where the cops were seemed like they were going on a rampage against black males. And it was proposed that they should have body cams. And one had a body cam and was captured strangling a man to death. So I think they're a good idea. And of course, South Africa's uh, been struggling with uh, police-perpetrated violence for a while now. Uh, tragedies like Marikana come to mind. The very current and trending fees must fall situation at universities across South Africa becoming an issue. Rubber bullets, tear gas, I suppose, makes a very good argument for keeping police honest and duty-driven, I guess. Yes, I mean, this is good technology, but I'd like to see how they're going to implement this. I'm imagining, firstly, for this to be effective, the footage captured must be recorded live to a server somewhere. You might get some disgruntled policeman who, after an incident, might delete footage or throw away the camera. So, firstly, for this to work from a technological point of view, footage needs to be recorded live without the police having control over it. And it needs to be on 24-7. So the policeman mustn't have an option of switching it on and off when he's on duty. Yeah, just to add to that, I mean, this discussion about body cams is actually from a perspective of the police officers themselves. They're not thinking of protecting um, the, the civilians. They're thinking from protecting the police officers because um, of late we've had, like, incidents where cops were, have been shot. Tifo has a point. I mean... We need to think of the mechanisms that will come with the system from protecting the civilians themselves. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Of course, uh, it's very easy to paint uh, police officers anywhere in the world with one brush. Many of them are really great people who are doing a job many of us would never do and are at risk every day. And perhaps it's not just about some of these outlying cases of violence they perpetrate but also safety to them as well but my thing is given how information is barely well protected what are the odds that we could trust that the south african police service would protect our information and not do with the things that would later become scandalous well from 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 this i mean from videos point of view as i said the systems would need to be there needs to be checks and balances even from protecting police point of view as peter mentioned it needs to be on 24-7 so the policeman can be selective because there's a thing called framing in, in, in media where you want the perfect shot so there's all sorts of things in the photo that you're trying to take but you crop it to a you know the nice frame so you don't want that with video footage of police them having access to that then only showing a certain although it is it is what happened but cutting out the context if i may put it that way yeah this to me just sounds like an extra additional layer to police police as it were definitely a good idea potentially could have uh, solved a lot of mysteries that remain unsolved 
and would have been able to allow us to very quickly determine uh, you know, guilt in cases where we were not able to do so in the past. But I have a hard time imagining that we're in a position to to roll out such a system adequately. Look, if you think differently, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup or hit us up on Twitter using the handle at African Roundup or use the hashtag ATRU or just leave us a comment directly at our webpage and that's africantechroundup.com. Once again, this week's African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Imagination Info Solutions, the information management and consulting company that helps business people make good, solid, data-driven decisions that impact the bottom line. Visit imagination.co.za, that's e-imagination.co.za, to find out how you can start spending less time sorting through and extracting your company's data, and more time using it to make your business rock. Again, that's e-imagination.co.za. And that's our show today, at the longer than usual, uh, but happily so, because we've had quite a, f- a few things to, to stuff in there, uh, some good solid news, and of course... The enigma that is Peter Fila joining us today. Thank you so much, Peter. You actually stuck around to the end, bro. Yeah, I'm not doing it again. So I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas already and a Happy New Year. Che- Check this guy out. Check this guy. Yeah, no. <laughs> they th- I think they think we're joking. They think we're joking. This guy's this guy is a hobbit. I promise you, he's an African hobbit, and he's he's got he's got his beautiful little uh, shire somewhere. <laughs> he's going to retreat to immediately once this this mic gets off, it switches off. Hobbit is quite uh, taking his height into context, but <laughs> actually, we used to have a name for 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 back when I was still working. For guys who, like guys, system administrators who used to like stay in server rooms. So server rooms are quite cold and humid. We used to call them mushrooms. It's like cold and dark, humid, like mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) We still have quite a few things to look forward to. We'll be sharing it on social. Yeah, we have to end Q4 quite strong. So there's big announcements coming in the next episodes regarding our event. We'll let you know. Otherwise, for now, it's goodbye from me, Anjali Masugu. And me, Tefo Mohapi. Jason, we still got mad love for you, bro. (laughs) Peace out.